from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting with Tony as he continues to be on vacation with his family. Glad that you are with us today. I want to remind you that you can find the program, this show and every show at TonyPerkins.com. I encourage you to do so. Also, you can download the Stand Firm app wherever you get your apps. Type in Stand Firm uh, to stay connected on this to this program, as well as all the other FRC resources at the conven- with the convenience of your phone. Today on the program, we're going to continue to cover Afghanistan from a few different angles. Sean Spicer, former Trump administration press secretary, will join us to talk about what it's like to be in the White House during a crisis like this. What's going on for those who work in the White House? right now. In addition, he'll tell us his thoughts on the border. He's written a new book on the crises of the Trump administration that he'd written that even before the current crisis uh, for the Biden administration. Excuse me. Uh, Then at the end of the program, George Thomas, CBN's senior international correspondent, has been in communications with Christians in Afghanistan. They actually say they fear extermination of the Christian church in Afghanistan. Very, very difficult, dire situation. Uh, We are going to talk about how we can pray for them. We are going to pray for them on the program at the end. We'll talk about exactly what the situation is from the ground, from the perspective of the Afghan Christians. But to start off, as armed Taliban fighters patrol Afghanistan's capital city in pickup trucks and the streets surrounding its airport remain in chaos. Thousands of Americans remain in Afghanistan, along with tens of thousands of Afghans waiting on special immigrant visas. The State Department is informing Americans in Afghanistan that the United States cannot guarantee their safety to the international airport in Kabul. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said yesterday, that U.S. forces in Afghanistan lack the capability to pick up large numbers of Americans stranded in Kabul and bring them to the airport. If they can get to the airport, the State Department's Overseas Security Advisory Council is notifying Americans that repatriation flights out of Afghanistan will cost $2,000 or more per person. Yes, the U.S. government is charging its citizens for the cost of escaping a crisis that they created. That's if they can get to the airport. So for many Americans, their hopes depend on the good graces of the Taliban. That's not an encouraging place to be. Was all of this inevitable? President Biden now says yes. At least he did yesterday during an interview with George Stephanopoulos. You don't think this could have been handled? This actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So was the president expecting this chaos? He didn't seem to think so before. We'll not conduct a hasty rush to the exit. We'll do it. We'll do it responsibly, deliberately and safely. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling? None whatsoever. Zero. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof 
of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable. Likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. With me now to talk about the president's handling of Afghanistan and the efforts to evacuate Americans and Afghanis is U.S. Congressman August Fluger, who's a member of the U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee and represents the 11th Congressional District of Texas. He's also a 20-year Air Force veteran who flew dozens of combat missions over the Middle East. Congressman Fluger, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you for having me, and thanks for uh talking about this issue. I mean, what, what a tragedy we're, we're seeing unfold in front of our eyes. And I appreciate the fact that we're trying to get these facts out there and have a transparent discussion so, so we can avoid it in the future and fix it now. And that's exactly right. Can I first get your reaction to the president's comments yesterday to George Stephanopoulos? Well, you know, I, I think the only word that I can use to describe the president's approach to that interview and his press conference where he read from a teleprompter is just disconnected. He's disconnected from the reality uh, that is unfolding in front of us in Afghanistan. He's disconnected from his constituency, the, the United States of America, and the citizens of this great country who for 240 years have looked at these types of crises and conflicts, and we've done our level best. And he's disconnected from folks that, that just don't believe that he's done that at this point in time. Yeah. Also, during that interview, the president was asked about the chaos we saw at the Kabul airport. Here's what he had to say there. We've all seen the pictures. We've seen those hundreds of people packed into a C-17. We've seen Afghans falling. That was four days ago, five days ago. What did you think when you first saw those pictures? What I thought was we're, we have to gain control of this. We have to move this more quickly. We have to move in a way in which we can take control of that airport. And we did. His, his response of that was four days ago, five days ago. What's he trying to say there? Well, he just comes off completely defensive. And what we're looking for in our president is a leader who leads us out of crises. And, and unfortunately, he's leading us back into another crisis. And I've, I've spoken with many Air Force members um, and, and still as a, as a member of the Air Force Reserve, let me just say, these men and women in, in the armed forces that are currently there right this second are true American heroes. They are being put into a terrible situation, and, and, they're, and they're doing a great job. But for the president to be defensive about that was four or five days ago and not acknowledge that this is a rapidly changing environment, that it is dangerous, that people are, are literally so desperate – that they will climb onto the outside of an aircraft to, to just have a 0.001% chance of living. And the fact that he doesn't get it goes back to my first comment. He is so disconnected from the reality on the ground, the situation that's unfolding, and just how dire this is. It's really uh, – it's so disconcerting uh, to see that and to see his reaction that way. Earlier this week, we talked to Congressman Green, who talked – who reported that he's hearing from people in Afghanistan, his offices, other congressional offices have said the same thing. Are you hearing from people in Afghanistan? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there are American citizens that need to get out of Afghanistan. That is our number one first priority. My office, along with Congressman Greens and many others, are helping to identify where they are and to see what we can do. And in addition to those, 
We have Afghanis who have helped us for two decades, the special immigrant visa applicants, those that have stood by us. And a lot of times their family members have given their lives in the defense of, of freedom. So, yes, we are. And let me just mention one special case. I have a constituent who, whose spouse is an Afghan pilot. Okay, This is an American citizen married to an Afghan pilot. Uh, who earlier this week made his way to Uzbekistan with a, a couple hundred, 600 approximately other Afghanis. Um, and, and those folks right now uh, are being threatened because the Taliban wants the Uzbek government to give them back along with their military equipment. So not only are we working American citizens, we're also working you know, that next priority, which is the Afghanis who are applying for that special immigrant visa to get them out of Afghanistan to safety. There are so many layers of this, and, and I suspect that we're going to be seeing this play out for weeks, if not even longer. Earlier today, uh, Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby was asked how many Americans remain in Afghanistan, and his answer was, I don't know. Do we even have the ability to know how many people are there? Are we going to be able to get that number so at any point we can say with confidence we have removed everyone? Well, for, for the Pentagon to say they don't know – that they should know how many military personnel we have. The State Department should have a good idea as to how many civilians and, and those who are either doing business or, or there in some other capacity. So they should have an idea. Now, we don't expect them to get it right down to the very last person, but you know what we do expect? We expect them to get every last person out of that country. So they need to start figuring out how many people are there, and they need to identify where they are and a way for them to get to safety, to Kabul, to the airport or any other means, because we will not leave anybody behind. And, and I guarantee you, next week, when Nancy Pelosi has called us back into session, allegedly for this infrastructure deal, we are going to focus on this issue. We are not going to let this go, and we're going to make sure that we hear the answers from Secretary Blinken and others as to what went wrong and how we can mitigate it and triage this right now. And it starts with identifying every single American in Afghanistan. Now, it appears that uh, the Americans who are in Kabul still may simply be at the mercy of the Taliban, whether or not they allow them safe passage to the airport so that they can leave. Do you think that's a fair assessment of what the situation is? And what do you think happens if the Taliban suddenly decides they want to flex some muscle and just say no? Well, yes, I do think it's a fair assessment. And I think that's the biggest concern is – they are so vulnerable if they're, quote, unquote, outside of the wire of the safety of, of the airport. And so, you know, this is the first what I'll call debrief focus point in, in fighter pilot parlance. Why do we have people that are outside the wire that didn't either get the message or have a way to get safely to the airport to be evacuated? So, so now we're past that, and, that, and now it's time to make sure that we flex the muscles, that we don't we, we do not succumb to the demands of a date that the Taliban seem to want to give us or any other measures. We are the ones that are going to drive this negotiation. We've already had so many missteps, but now let's regain the dominance of the battle space, if you will, and let's make sure that we set the terms. And those terms need to be very favorable and very secure and very safe for each American that we are trying to get out in each Afghanistan citizen who helped us, and in in, in, I've already mentioned the visas. We are the ones that are going to set those terms. 
But is there concern that the Biden administration would not be willing to use the United States government's ultimate leverage, which is we're bigger than you and we're stronger than you and we can prove it if we want to? Well, there's absolutely concern. I mean, you know, it's just such a shame. And I said he, he earlier on the show that he's leading us back into crises. President Biden, as a president, should be keeping us more secure in every aspect of our daily lives. And this is an example of that. So you don't come in and, and negotiate from a position of weakness. He's doing just that. And so, yes, there are concerns. I have ultimate faith, however, in our military that, that every single thing that they're seeing, that they're hearing, that the environment as it changes will be fed back up to the White House. And we in Congress and others need to put pressure on the White House, on President Biden, to be willing to do whatever it takes to secure the lives and the safety of American citizens. Congressman Fluger, we have about one minute left. What are your plans when uh, when Congress reconvenes? Well, we expect to see Secretary Blinken testifying in front of a very important on what went wrong, how we can how we avoid whatever happened. Congressman August Fluger, we seem to be having a connection issue there, but we got most of that. Really appreciate your time today and also your service to our country. Uh, thank you for being with us. And, and I think he makes a really important point there at the end. Uh, we ought not in any of our criticism to blame our men and women who are serving valiantly and executing their assignments as given to them uh, right now. This really is not an execution problem as much as it is a planning and leadership problem. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about a little of that leadership, what's going on in the White House. Sean Spicer, a former press secretary for President Trump, will join us to talk about what's happening in the White House. Coming up next. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. 
Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. The crisis in Afghanistan has put a major dent in President Biden's approval rating, which dropped seven percentage points and hit its lowest level so far according to a Reuters Ipsos poll conducted Monday. And adding salt to the wound is the PR crisis that the White House is having. After delivering remarks on the U.S. COVID response yesterday, President Biden quickly turned his back to reporters who were itching to ask him about Afghanistan. About an hour later, the White House delivered a message on Afghanistan through a junior official. This is what he said in part. Second, our most important job right now is to provide security and stability at the international airport in Kabul. That mission was accomplished in large part because we planned for it. Apparently, they are feeling the need to make the case that they know how to make plans. Joining me now to talk about this is someone who can tell us a thing or two about the White House's messaging. Sean Spicer, who served as the White House press secretary in the Trump administration. He's currently host of Newsmax's Spicer and Co- Company and the author of the forthcoming book, Radical Nation. Sean, welcome to Washington Watch. Joseph, thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Well, what are your thoughts? That clip that we just played uh, from the White House, uh, President Biden's principal deputy national security advisor, uh, everything is purposeful. He actually used the phrase mission accomplished. Is this intended to make Americans believe things are going well? So I, I think that there's only two options that are possible. One is that they're they're misleading us, right? Because anyone who has turned on a television or looked at clips online knows that if that's the best you can do, you got a big problem. Or, or second, that that's an embarrassing situation because if that really is the best you can do, it shows that you had no planning and no foresight into what would be needed in, in, a, in a whole host of areas. But those are only two options. Either they're misleading everybody or uh, – or, or there, you know, there's there's a lot of incompetence there. And and I'll give you one good example. If you knew that you were going to withdraw from Afghanistan, and if you believed that things were unstable, and whether the Taliban was going to have a resurgence after, you know, one day, one week, one month, one year, wouldn't you start to get the word out by the State Department to American citizens in Afghanistan saying, here's, you know, the United States will begin its withdrawal. Uh, we advise American citizens in country to, you know, register with the State Department to begin to exit the country. That would, would be what 
you would normally do. And so, you know, there was zero planning put into this. I think that you had a president that made up his mind about what he wanted to do and said, you know, go execute it. I want to be out by a certain date and I don't really care and I don't believe the intelligence. But those are the only two real options that you have. Now, there's a lot of conflicting messages that maybe suggest poor planning like we have actually on the ground in Afghanistan. But based on your experience in the White House, what do you think the scene is like right there as they kind of take on this crisis on so many fronts? Well, there's two there's two prongs to this. The first prong is the policy prong, right, which is the coordination between the State Department and the Department of Defense specifically as well, you know, obviously in conjunction with the White House, National Security Council, et cetera. Um, they're trying to make sure that they get the policy straight or fixed. Um, so that's number one because that's it. The second is the communications piece of this, which is a lot of um, saying the right thing, putting the right people out, the right imagery. And, and frankly, I think that part is failing miserably. You have um, a White House that – I mean you have a president who gave a speech, flew back on vacation at Camp David, flew back for an interview, is flying apparently back again to Camp David – um, who was sitting in the Situation Room at Camp David by himself with, you know, a polo shirt on. It just the imagery of it, frankly, which is what his comp shop should have been thinking about, was was I think a failure. Um, I also think that, and obviously, and then you've got the policy piece, but those are there's two separate things happening at the same time. You, I, I assume you saw the interview that uh, President Biden did with George Stephanopoulos yesterday. We talked about that earlier in the program. It hasn't been playing well so far. Do you think the White House is m more interested in the policy piece or more interested in the communications part of what they're dealing with? Well, you, they're intertwined. Yes. I mean, you, and, you, and, can't, you, can't have one, you can't have one within the other, right? Um, and that's what I was saying before about what, what they care about. But at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't look like either one is going well. What advice, if you were in the White House right now, what advice would you be giving them? Well, I, the, the hardest part, Joseph, is that it's hard. It, it's sort of like when someone gets really sick. Your job is to try to get them better, but, you know, you can't, you can't unfix an injury, right? So if you break a leg, you can say, here's what I'm going to do to give you some comfort or to help get you back on your feet, but you can't, you know, the, the leg is broken. I think that this policy is fundamentally broken. They're, they're at a point now where the Taliban has overtaken. The imagery is such that Americans are looking, frankly, in disgust at what's happening over there. Um, so, I, I mean, I think what I would do is do as much as I can to, um, to, to have the State Department and the Department of Defense get assets in place uh, to um, to show a peaceful uh, non-combatant evacuation from the country, but the problem is, is that the Taliban's already taken over so many of the assets that are, that are there that the U.S. had. The Taliban has, you know, the U.S. ambassador has already fled. The president of the country has fled. Pakistan, I mean, Afghans have died trying to escape the country. Mothers are dropping their kids over uh, fence lines to try to get them to freedom. Um, so you, you can't unring that bell. Right. Politically speaking, what do you think the fallout is going to be from this? That's a fascinating question, and I'll tell you why. Because, number one, Joe Biden ran as a president that was going to be the mature adult in the room that had this vast foreign policy experience, that knew what he was doing, that was going to re, um, uh, reinvigorate 
these uh, relationships around the globe with world leaders and reassert uh, what he would call American dominance and uh, strength, it's, that's been a complete and abject failure through this process. Secondly, the, the interview that he did with Stephanopoulos, he was indignant, he wasn't contrite, he wasn't apologetic. Um, which was all of the things that he said he was going to do and juxtaposed himself with how Trump dealt with crises. So I think it, it, I, I have a feeling that it's not just this crisis, it's what it's shown about him as a person. Well, I, I think I think you're right. I think maybe the um, the narrative of Joe being the likable guy is uh, is may maybe the shine is coming off of that a little bit. Uh, but we're going to continue this conversation uh, on the other side of the break with White House former White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer. And we're also going to talk in his new book uh, about the upcoming price, uh, the upcoming, the current crisis on the border uh, and his upcoming book about that. We'll talk about that when we come back. Don't go away. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. For Tony. Before the break, we made mention of the other crises that have been dwarfed by the debacle in Afghanistan. And one of those crises is the one at the southern border, where crossings are at a 21-year high. Well, with me to continue our conversation from the last segment is Sean Spicer, who served as White House Press Secretary in the Trump administration. He's currently host of Newsmax's Spicer & Company and author of the forthcoming book, Radical Nation. Uh, Sean, thanks for staying with us. Uh, over the weekend, 
As the Taliban was advancing on Kabul, Fox News released leaked audio of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas talking to Border Patrol agents in Texas on Thursday about the crisis. And here's what he said, saying, we are going to lose. If, uh, if our border is the first line of defense, uh, we're going to lose, and this is unsustainable. Uh, we can't continue like this. Uh, our people in the field can't continue, and our system isn't built for it. What's your reaction to that statement coming from security secretary from the Sec- Homeland Security Secretary? Well, I-, I wish I could say that you know I was shocked or disagreed, but I don't. I mean, they're not doing anything. They're doing. They're, they're, they've undone all the policies that President Trump had implemented that were effective. Um, so I, I just, I, I, none of it shocks me, to be honest with you. Now, the book that you're about to release, Radical Nation, you offer really the first uh, comprehensive analysis of the Biden-Harris administration's agenda. Um, what led you to write the book? What do you prioritize there? Well, so first of all, I mean, I, I, it's not, it's, it's, it is the first comprehensive look at the Biden Harris administration. It's a look at the people that make up Biden Inc. Those are the, the, you know, frankly, the grifters, the people who have made money and surrounded Joe Biden for a long time, uh, including many family members. Uh, secondly, it's the people that he's surrounded himself in his cabinet and the senior posts in the White House and the administration telling you who they are because, frankly, outside of this book, Radical Nation, you're not going to – the mainstream media didn't tell you who they were because um, a lot of stuff didn't come up in their cabinets. I mean, I, for example, I delve into Dennis McDonough. He's the, what, he's the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. He's never served a day in the military, never been part of a veteran service organization, but his only qualification was he was Obama's chief of staff. And um, and that's one example. But I run through the cabinet and tell you about who these people are because it wasn't part of their, you know, didn't get brought up in the confirmation process. Secondly, uh, then I really look at the policy. Who first see pornography weren't looking for it. It was an accident. And so good kids today will see porn online unless parents take action. Good kids will be asked for nudes online unless parents take action. You don't have to be a bad kid. In fact, you can be the best kid around, and you will still run into extremely dangerous things online. So it's not what kids are trying to do. It's what kids can hardly avoid it unless parents take action. And it's there's peer pressure. There's all sorts of challenges with this. Now, I know a lot of parents are going to be listening to this, watching this, and they don't understand this world. You know, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough where all of this stuff is foreign to me. Right. We didn't grow up in a world where uh, we were being asked to send pictures of ourselves uh, with our phones. How would you encourage, what help do you have for parents even to have this conversation? Because if parents decide, yeah, I want to take this action, I want to cooperate with my kid, I want to use this technology to help protect them from from predators or protect them from themselves if that's necessary. But parents need to have a dialogue. They don't want to just take their phone and say, you've got this new app on there, go away. How do you encourage parents to have a conversation with their kids that is constructive, that's positive, that helps their kid become a partner in what they're trying to do? Great question. I really think about three different things, specifically when thinking about sexting. Uh, If you're going to download an app like Canopy to protect your kids, the first thing to do is to emphasize that it's actually illegal and that there can be legal consequences for teenagers do what for teenagers to do what's increasingly normal. So that's the first thing Just say, man, this is real. The second thing to say is that, um, a sex 
rarely stays with the person it's sent to. One in four kids has received a nude image. I think that's actually an outdated number, but at least one in four kids has received one. But only one in seven has sent one. Why is that there a difference? There's a difference there because the kids who receive them often share them with other kids. And that's what's really changed, is that if you, as a teenager, send a nude image of yourself, the chances are it's not going to stay with the person that you meant to send it to. And then finally, I would just say, man, right now a lot of kids are doing this, but not every kid is doing this. So if you're talking to a teenager, you know, saying it's illegal isn't going to be that compelling. Saying that um, it could be dangerous may not be that compelling. But saying, look, you're not alone if you're, intel- if you're, if you're wise enough to say no. You are not alone in doing this. There are great ways. There, there, there are people who really do refuse to do this, and that's the healthiest response. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, the Internet really does live forever. And for brains that are, are that are often programmed to live from, you know, the next 10 or 15 minutes of their lives, uh, thinking about the implications over decades is sometimes difficult. Now, tell us, uh, parents who are interested in this want to find out more. Where can they go uh, to get your resources to help their kids? Oh, have we lost... Parents can go to canopy.us, that's canopy.us, to learn a lot more about how to have the conversation about the dangers their kids are facing online, but also about the technology that can really help address this problem. So again, canopy.us. Matt Gore, thank you so much for your time. Canopy.us. And parents, uh, you don't want to have this conversation, but that's half the reason why you need to have this conversation. Thanks for being being with us today, Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you. And we're going to continue to talk about conversations you may not want to have with your kids in our worldview conversation coming up next. There are lots of threats to your children. They aren't all from teachers unions and public schools. Some of them are technology and some of them might be you. We'll talk about how you can serve your kids better when we come back right after the break. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. 
Pray Vote Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray Vote Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm, City of Tony. I want to apologize for some technical complications we had during the last segment, but we are back with you live talking about the concerning events and developments, continuing developments in Afghanistan. Since Tuesday, the Taliban has been trying to present themselves to the world as responsible stewards of Afghanistan. They've offered vague reassurances to women. And starting yesterday, they've reportedly been trying to lighten their presence on the streets of Kabul, although they've still been using gunfire to disperse protests. Well, many are not buying what they're selling, and many on the ground say they are fearful, especially those who are Christ followers, as elimination of the Christian population there is a real threat. Joining me now to talk about the persecution facing Afghan Christians is George Thomas, CBN's senior international correspondent who has been in communication with Christians in Afghanistan. George, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the broadcast. appreciate it. Well, we want to hear what you have to say. Tell us, what have you been learning? Tell us about the conversations you're having. Well, uh, ever since the fall of uh, Afghanistan a few days ago, the reports that we are getting, that I'm getting here at CBN News, is just one of uh, devastation, utter devastation, shock, fear, uh, trepidation, uncertainty, uh, chaos, uh, a, a real sense of, uh, of, uh, of trepidation across the country, whether from Herat to Kandahar, the birthplace of the Taliban, to Mazar-e-Sharif, uh, to Kabul, the, uh, the capital of Afghanistan. Uh, this is across the nation, just the absolute uh, astonishment. Uh, at what is taking place today. Just a few hours ago, before we went on air here at CBN News, one of my sources uh, in country uh, said, uh, put out an urgent request uh, uh, asking for prayer for his family uh, because they have been stuck just outside of the uh, outskirts of Herat, uh, the third largest city in Afghanistan. Uh, in fact, my source had just, uh, his family had just gone to bury 
sadly his father because uh, he had passed away from COVID uh, and then the uh, Taliban swept in and they've been unable to get back into the into the main city of Herat uh, and now they're contemplating they're on the run unfortunately uh, unlike other Afghans who are at the airport they don't have a passport uh, and they are so um, uh, you know uh, uncertain about what steps to to take next they ask for urgent prayer a prayer that they would somehow find a way to take, uh, the, you know, his mother as well as four uh, single sisters out of the country or at least to a, a safe zone uh, as quickly as possible. I think you're right. And we join you in encouraging people to pray and to honor their requests there. And we have created specific prayer points for the people of Afghanistan. And you can we'll link to them there at TonyPerkins.com. You can you can find them. Tell us. For those who are are experiencing this in Afghanistan, what are their options right now? Are they active? Is the Taliban actively trying to find people? What What's the situation? Are they just fearful that it could happen? Or are things happening right now for people? No, uh, they are absolutely happening. I mean, I think all the focus uh, right now uh, is uh, at the airport, at Kabul, at uh, uh, Karzai International Airport, uh, rightly so, because that's where most of the action is taking place as um, thousands of Afghans try desperately to, uh, to, to, to escape from their country. And then you've got the issue of uh, between five to 10,000, maybe upwards of 15,000 uh, Americans who are practically trapped behind uh, enemy lines, trapped behind uh, Taliban lines. Uh, but obviously the focus is in the capital city. Uh, but we know uh, we are getting reports from, from other cities, be it Herat, like as I mentioned, from Kandahar, from Mazar-e-Sharif, where there is no presence of international media. Uh, similar scenes are playing out. I mean, keep in mind, we are getting reports just in the last uh, 24, 48 hours that uh, the Taliban in essence, has the biometric data uh, of all uh, uh, individuals who were part of coalition forces, who were translators, who worked for various uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, uh, worked for other uh, uh, humanitarian or, you know, foreign uh, entities. They have the names of this. And in some cases, uh, be it in Kabul, that the Taliban are going door to door uh, with this technology at their fingertips, in essence, having all of the data, all of the names, the numbers, the face, the, the, uh, the iris scans, uh, in essence, having the blueprint of all those that were involved uh, with the United States and our coalition partners uh, over the last 20 years. And, and they're going after them. And, uh, you know, clearly what you're seeing is um, an effort by the Taliban to put on a good face that, uh, you know, they say they're going to respect uh, the rights of uh, women, the opportunity for, uh, for girls to attend a school. Uh, but uh, the folks I speak to on the ground say, listen, this is just window dressing. And once uh, all U.S. forces and NATO forces are out of the country, uh, then the real crackdown uh, will ensue. The real brutality will take place. Look, nothing has changed uh, in Taliban 1.0 uh, compared to what it was like 20 years ago. I was on the streets of Afghanistan, uh, on the streets of Kabul, shortly after the United States invaded uh, Afghanistan. And I remember 
back then. Uh, you know, you would have uh, young men who would come up to me, many of them Taliban sympathizers. Uh, you know, they were curious about what we were doing, curious about our our equipment, television equipment and so forth. And they kept looking at my watch and they were fascinated by my watch and they were curious about where, where I got it and so forth. And I'll never forget one young man who said to me, who turned to me and said, uh, you will always, you must always remember that the Taliban have time. They have time on their side. And 20 years later, right before the anniversary of the horrific attacks here in the United States, as we uh, get ready to commemorate and remember 9-11, 20 years later, those words of that young man ring true today. The Taliban indeed waited patiently 20 years later, and today they are in control of the country. We're, we're speaking with George Thomas, CBN's senior international correspondent, about this scene on the ground. And in, sadly, it does appear that the Taliban had much better plans for hunting people down than the United States government had planned protecting people. Um, on the chairman of the Taliban's military commission, uh, Mullah Yaqub, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, reiterated orders that fighting should enter rooms or seize property. He said that no one is allowed to enter anyone's house, particularly in Kabul, where we entered recently and the situation is new. But I, I, clearly, according to your reports, uh, those those orders are not being followed or ever intended. Mention all the people who are being hunted down because they help the United States government. Do we have reason to believe that they are specifically identifying and targeting Christians at this point as well? Look, we don't know necessarily, you know, if and so forth. But let's let's assume for a second that after years, you know, take for example, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and majority of those who have come to faith in Christ um, uh, in the last twenty years in Afghanistan, you know, they say that the church has grown tremendously in the last twenty years, despite the challenges that they face living. Uh, in an Islamic country. But just imagine if you are in uh, Wazir Akbar Khan uh, neighborhood of Kabul, not too far from the center of the city. I've traversed that part of the city many a times. Uh, and you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You probably have spent the last 20 years trying very carefully, uh, uh, using friendship evangelism, uh, attempting to display the love of Jesus Christ through acts and deeds. And so eventually your neighbors, the shopkeeper, uh, the gas attendant, uh, will, uh, will surmise that you are not a Muslim, that you are different, there's something different about you. And then they'll begin to ask questions. So the concern that my sources are saying to me is that just like we saw in Iraq, shortly after the rise of ISIS, uh, that you had uh, neighbors in these communities turn against neighbors, and in this case, Muslims who turned against their fellow uh, uh, neighbors who happened to be Christian. Uh, and uh, the assumption by those who live in the country is that all their neighbors knew that they were Christians and uh, have at some point alerted the Taliban, alerted the authorities, and this is a fact. And now we're getting information from the Wall Street Journal, just uh, breaking as I come on the air here, that uh, internal uh, documents sent to uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, as early as June, July of, the, of this year, just a few weeks ago, internal documents clearly show 
that uh, the uh, that the Taliban had intent and they had the means of taking over the country very very quickly. Uh, and so uh, again, the question the, the question must be asked: Why we were not prepared? Why we didn't take the steps uh, to 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 evacuate uh, our troops in an orderly fashion? Not to, for example, get uh, uh, shut down the Bagram Air Base so quickly as we did, and to uh, mobilize. Uh, an effort to get all these thousands of Americans, as well as Afghans, 85,000 or so is what they say, that helped the United States and coalition forces. Why would these efforts were not put in place, were not activated as quickly as possible, I think is the big question that everybody wants to know right now, both uh, on both sides of the political aisle. George Thomas, CBN's senior international correspondent, thank you so much for your time and your report. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. And now that we have a clearer picture of what Afghan Christians are facing, what can we do here in the U.S.? Joining me now with some insights on what we can do for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ is someone who is no stranger himself to persecution. It was in October 2016 that Dr. Andrew Brunson was falsely accused of terrorism and held for two years in Turkish prisons. Following a worldwide prayer movement and significant political pressure from the U.S. government, he was released in October 2018. He is now a special advisor for religious freedom here at FRC, and he's here to tell us what we need to keep in mind and how we can pray for the Christians in Afghanistan. Dr. Brunson, welcome back to the program. Hi, Joseph. Thanks. Yeah, well, as you watch this, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? So the first thing is I'm thinking of believers in Afghanistan, Afghan believers. Most of us probably haven't prayed for Afghans very much, but God is highlighting them right now, and our prayers do make a difference. So as I think of believers, I, some of them will be killed for their faith. I mean, I think that's almost inevitable with what's happening now. And so for them, what's on my heart is to pray that they will have courage and that they will remain faithful to the end because they will be put on display. Many people will be watching their reactions, and we want them to also finish faithfully, to, to look to Jesus and find comfort in him and be stand faithful to the end. And then there are a, a number of other believers who are going to be trying to escape the persecution that's coming, and there are no easy places to escape to from Afghanistan. It's very difficult. So the reality is that there, there's going to be serious persecution. And so we want to pray protection for our brothers and sisters there, uh, that they, they will have protection from the Lord, but also that they will be faithful and uh, that their families will will be protected in some way. Some will be killed, but somehow, I, often God seems to move to protect many people from this. But they are going into a very difficult time. So uh, I'm thinking about them, how we need to be praying for them. But also, I'm remembering uh, in Turkey how when ISIS attacked the Kurds, many of them started to pour into Turkey, and all of the things that they had trusted in in the past were shaken, and. Uh, because of that, they were open to uh, asking spiritual questions that they really hadn't asked before. So we saw a number of them who became followers of Jesus Christ. And so I think of uh, the Afghan people in general right now whose hopes have really been shattered. Uh, they didn't expect that this has been a real shock to them. And the foundations of all the things they've trusted have been completely shaken. And so this is a time when we need to pray that many of them begin to turn, even as they've lost all hope, that they turn to the only one who can give them hope, who is Jesus Christ. So I'm asking that that Jesus come into their dreams and interrupt their dreams, and that many of them 
find Jesus Christ and, and have faith in him. Amen. And I think, and I'm going to have you pray in a moment, but I, I'm reminded of, of Peter's prayer after he was in prison the first time in Acts, in Acts chapter 5. I believe this is a chapter where he's released and they were told, don't preach the gospel anymore. And they all got together as they were released from prison. And they said, you need to pray. For, give us boldness was their prayer. Not necessarily safety, but give us boldness. And, and Pastor Andrew, we have uh, about a minute left, but uh, spend a minute praying, if you would, uh, on our, all of our behalf for our Afghan brothers and sisters. Yeah, so I, I want to pray what my wife has been praying. She's really the, uh, the intercessor in our family. So, Lord, we pray for the country of Afghanistan. You are the only hope for this people, but you are a great hope. So we're calling on the God who sees, on the most high God, on the God of the impossible, the God of miracles, the God who redeems. And Psalm 89 says, you have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, high your right hand. So extend your mighty arm and raise your strong hand on behalf of the people of Afghanistan. Frustrate the plans of evil men. Thwart them with your holy angels. Confuse and divide them. We ask for special protection for those who partnered with the United States. We ask for special protection for women. You are the God of the widow and orphans, those who are vulnerable. We ask for special protection for the believers, for all who are calling on your name. Speak peace to their hearts and minds. Give specific guidance. Hide them and deliver them from evil. And if not, Strengthen them with your Holy Spirit to stand faithful to the end. For those who don't know you, send your truth and send your light. Reveal your son, Jesus, and bring many to salvation. Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in Afghanistan as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Pastor Andy Brunson, thank you so much. And continue these prayers. They need it. It's up to us. And always remember... God is not surprised. He is in charge, even when it looks dark. And this is the moment where the light shines brightest. We'll talk to you next time on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.